Hi, good morning and welcome to Real Nurse Stories. In today's episode of Real Nurse Stories, I'm interviewing Grace. Grace is from Brisbane in Australia and Grace has an interesting nursing story to tell. So we're going to start right at the beginning. And I, first of all, Grace, I'd like to welcome you to Real Nurse Stories. Thank you so much for having me, Ava. Um, like, like you said, my name's Grace. Uh, I'm in Brisbane, Australia, and I'm really excited to share some of my stories. Thank you. So let's start right back at the beginning, Grace, and let's think about what actually made you decide to want to become a nurse. <laughs> this question always stumps me. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of things really contributed to me becoming a nurse. Uh, I think one of the reasons that really impacted my path towards nursing, um, though I actually have no recollection of actually ever making the decision to do nursing, I think it's always just sort of been a lighted path that I've always just sort of followed along and then just sort of found my, found my way through it and yeah. fell into it and loved it. So, you know, I don't actually remember making the decision like at school, yes, this is what I want to do. It was always very much that idea in the back of my mind that I've always just sort of worked towards and it happened and I love it. So, um, but one of the reasons I think really contributed to it was the fact that I was a premature baby. I was born 26 weeks. Um, and with that came some health issues through my childhood, including a brachial artery aneurysm, uh, which put me in and out of hospital a lot through my childhood years. Um, being in those sort of medical environments for a lot of children can be really traumatizing. However, I had a wonderful pediatric team and they found it uh, very engaging to really more educate me than to belittle me and put me as, as the child in the room. Yeah. Uh, so I was always involved in the discussion, no matter how young I was. And because my case was quite rare in a child, uh, often we had... Uh, student doctors in the room and I do remember specifically it was always a game to never say what I had and he'd always have the student doctors come and examine me and he would always be like shh don't tell and they would have to examine me and figure out what was wrong with me and if I didn't tell I got a lollipop and uh, if none of the students guessed it and then I got to tell them what it was. I yeah. got a second lollipop. So that was always fun. Um, so, uh, you know, sort of the paediatric team that was involved in my care was so involved in the educational side and making it less scary for me. Mm -hmm. So I think that experience of the human body education starting from such a young, young, young age mm. really um, nurtured my interest in the human body, how it works, uh, which then was reinforced at school and then sort of fed into my uh, career in nursing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that was one major factor that in influenced my decision to go into nursing. But also I, I've always been a very caring person and I was always given the little potty orphaned animals on the farm to care for. <laughs> as young as one year old, I shared a bottle with a sheep. So I was always just wanted to care for the little animals. And yeah. So, and especially when they were all little like baby animals. So I always loved that. And 
uh, I loved biology in school and I think all those things just combined sort of led me towards nursing and ta-da, there was a thing that I loved and there we go. There you go. And that, <laughs> there that's, you go. that's fabulous though, isn't it? To have had such a positive experience as a young child, you know, being mm. born with that condition and in and out of healthcare, to have a team that engaged you and involved you and explained in that way, such a positive experience and such a great example of kind of person-centered care no matter how old you are absolutely absolutely um I always reflect back onto that actually especially during my education when person-centered and patient-centered care was so heavily drilled into us Mm. Uh, I had these memories coming back of like my pediatric team showing me diagrams or drawing Mm. what I had for me so I could understand Mm. and Um, they always made sure I was comfortable and educated Mm. for the intellectual stage that I was in. Mm. So um, as I got older, the more and more information they provided me to that they would of an adult. They never talked down to me as a child, but they always provided me the information that would make me feel comfortable Mm. within my condition as a child Mm. and always made sure that I felt okay. So definitely reflected back onto the patient-centered care, which gave me and my family yeah. so much yeah. more reassurance. Yeah. Does the team that treated you know that you went on to become a nurse? Actually, in recent days, uh, well, recent months now, actually, uh, I so I am finishing my RNs now Mm -hmm. and I had just done a practical my second last practical and I looked up the one morning we were doing handovers seven o'clock on the dot and I'm looking at my handover sheet I'm looking at this name and I'm like why do I know this name why do I know it and I looked up and there's my surgeon (laughs) and he just smiles and he goes hi Grace (laughs) how are you (laughs) and I'm like oh Doctor won't say his name. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, hello. <laughs> and he just, he just had the biggest smile. And all my preceptors, the numb, the doctors, they're all looking at me going, how in the world does a 20-something-year-old student nurse know this person? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this doctor did my surgery many years ago. Oh, that's fabulous. So, yeah, and over the... the duration of his time in hospital uh, he every time he uh, saw that I had a spare minute he'd, he'd flag me down and be like I found your files and I took your case internationally and, ah. and all this stuff and I found the photos from my surgery that I have in my personal medical files and uh, showed him he's like oh great and then he even started like examining my arm and to check what the suture <laughs> line looked like and everything it was just it was so wonderful to sort of have that resolution and even yeah. after uh, I think nine years now and and he's retired and everything so uh, it sort of came full circle yeah. and I was I was the one being cared for and now I was caring for him. So yeah, that Aww. was such a wonderful resolution. Yeah. yeah so that was a yeah. wonderful week. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how life does that sometimes, isn't it? People who kind of been in your life at various points and then they come back round. I can remember a similar situation with a headmaster many years ago um, and somebody was admitted and 
I like you recognize the name. How do why do I recognize the name? And it, this person was my old headmaster from primary school. Um, he had no oh recollection. Goodness. He couldn't remember me, but I remembered him. And it's like <laughs> it's bizarre when that happens in the nursing world, but it does happen. And that's a great, a great story, actually, a, re a really positive yeah. story, like you say. Comes from yeah, well, it's almost for 10 years ago, but he still recognised me and he knew yeah. my name yeah. straight off the bat. And yeah, well, I mean, he looked after me for 12 and a half years, so yeah. I, yeah. I hope so he knew my name. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a really wonderful resolution to that circle. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, Grace, tell me a little bit about, I know that you've, you've referenced that you're, you did your EN um, hospital training and you went into mm -hmm. that at a really young age, didn't you? I did actually. I was, I was 17 when I started. Uh, we started in J January of 20. Oh, brain. <laughs> 2017? Yes, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was, yeah, 17. Um, and no, sorry, 2016, January 2016. I started my training at Marta Hospital in Brisbane and I finished at just over the age of 19 in 2017. Mm. So it was an 18-month program, uh, hospital trained, and it was such a wonderful program and very, very hands-on, uh, which very much suited my uh, educational needs. I'm a very hands-on learner. And, uh, yeah, so starting at age 17 was very eye-opening. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that program met every educational need and mm -hmm. discipline uh, that I think if I hadn't done that program, I think I'd be a very different nurse than I am mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. um, and just the way they structured their learning in, within that program is absolutely wonderful. Um, certainly not for, for others. Yeah. Um, it's a very, very specifically designed program. Um, but very much hands-on learning, mm. which, like I said, suited my suited my needs, and uh, we always had lots of opportunity for practical learning. Mm. Uh, so I think that very much helped me succeed within my education there and my career now. Mm. And I have gone back to study my irons, so just about finished that. And hopefully right. we'll be done. <laughs> well, we're never done. We're never done. Never done. <laughs> no. But at least, at least one more thing ticked off. <laughs> I just want to go back, um, Grace, to your EN training because yep. you referenced mm. in the information that you sent me there, there were some challenges there, particularly at kind of going in to start your EN training at 17. Mm. So can you just share with me a little bit more around what some of those challenges were? Yeah, uh, so starting at such a young age, 17, um, I had, well, I actually hadn't uh, finished high school. Mm. I went to go back to finish my um, high school education and I got into the MARTA training program. So they didn't mind that I didn't have a HSC because I passed all the entrance exams. Yeah. Um, so I just went straight into nursing. Um about being trained in the hospital environment, you're surrounded by a lot more, um, well, when I was there, I was 17 years old, so I was surrounded by a lot more older colleagues and uh, mm. professors and 
um, and perceptors and things like that. So uh, being 17 and in such a professional environment, I think I had to sort of overcome a large barrier of being treated as a child mm. uh, because of my age. Um, luckily enough, I was not one to very much look my age, so I could get away with it a little bit more. Mm. Um, but just especially being in higher critical areas, taken seriously, given the opportunity to learn, um, I think was a lot more difficult to overcome being such a younger age and treated more like a child than my peers who were older. Mm. Um, so I really had to prove myself, especially in high critical areas like emergency, mm. um, theatre, paediatrics, everything like that. So mm. I really had to prove myself with, that my age didn't identify my competence. Mm. Um, and especially starting nursing so young as well, like I was mm. 19 when I finished. So, mm. um, again, starting my first jobs, again, had to overcome that my age didn't mm. change my competence and mm. my education level. Mm. Um, so that was a massive barrier in starting nursing so young, but I wouldn't change it. No. Um, I think <laughs> I think it was still wonderful. Um, and so it's a very. I feel very blessed. It's very just, blessed being in the nursing life. When yeah. I was very young. So yeah, and just starting out my career a lot younger as well. Mm. So yeah, I've always loved it. Sometimes it's a fine line, isn't it? You know, I think like I went into nursing at eighteen, and I was talking about mm. this on a, a different interview. You know that you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. And I'd gone in at 18, completely green, thought I knew what nursing was about and really didn't. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. was a bit of a, a culture shock, <laughs> you know, and I, I would imagine being 17, you know, yeah. that, that would also apply, particularly in high critical areas because they're the sickest patients, aren't they? And to be yeah. exposed to that when you're 17 and just into training, just starting your training, mm. must have been quite um, a culture shock in that sense. Oh, definitely. Um, and definitely one to go home and thank your family members for mm. sure, especially being in such high critical areas yeah. um, and just realising how quickly things can change. Um, being in a classroom and learning about it is one thing, but being exposed to it is another mm. um, but I, I do remember on my first prac, uh, as all nursing students, you start your first prac in the aged care environment and you, you start learning about those basic care needs. And um, I do remember it was my first day and I was young, 17, <laughs> all ready to go, ready to get my hands dirty, all happy and happy as Larry, ready to go in it and start working. And I was so excited. I do remember that. And uh, I was just like, yes, like this is the day that it begins. <laughs> and uh, my preceptor was just like, yep, okay, we're going to start the day. You go in this room and make sure they're starting to get, they're mostly independent, but make sure they're starting to get ready for breakfast. Um, usually they're starting to get dressed around this time. Just make sure that they've got everything that they need and also have woken up for the morning. Um, and I'll be in the next room. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. And I knock and I open the door. And this uh, elderly gentleman is standing in his room stark naked and <laughs> trying to get dressed. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Close the door. <laughs> Go find my preceptor. They're up. <laughs> They're getting ready. 
<laughs> so you know that was my first day on the job in yeah. quotation. Um but yeah that was quite funny um so I would never forget that culture shock no. for sure um but yeah it is yeah. A, a bit of a baptism of fire isn't it when you start nursing <laughs> you know it's like those kind of situations happen a lot and it's yeah you kind of exposed and that's how you learn <laughs> oh yeah um definitely and like I said I'm a hands-on learner so yeah <laughs> yeah that was definitely a hands-on experience yeah yeah <laughs> okay Grace so I'm interested to know a little bit about your opportunity, the opportunity that you had um, being able to go to Nepal as a nurse and, and volunteer. And I wondered if you'd just share, wouldn't mind sharing that story with me. Of course. Um, I think Kathmandu, Nepal, my time there, I think was a massive highlight in my career as far. Um, I've been very blessed to have many highlights of my career but I think going to Kathmandu Nepal was one of the shining stars in my career at the moment um, and it was such an amazing experience uh, so I had the opportunity to facilitate an overseas international student placement through Work the World which is a UK-based company that facilitates medical placements globally um, and through my university so I was able to um, facilitate um, credits uh, towards doing this experience, towards my RN degree, um, as well as, so it did count as one of my practical experiences in my RN degree. Um, so I was placed within uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, in metropolitan Kathmandu for two weeks where I was in the emergency department in the high-risk acute labour delivery maternity ward. And I also spent one week in a rural health clinic where we were the most qualified people for about six hours radius. Um, and we were about seven, seven hours from Kathmandu. Um, so that was an incredible experience to say the least. Um, so I'll start when I was in Kathmandu. Uh, so I was placed in the emergency department and, uh, from day one, just seeing the differences in healthcare from Australia to Kathmandu, that was incredible. Um, the emergency departments over there uh, are sort of organised in a colour-coded system from green to yellow to red. Um, green being less acute, yellow being acute-ish, and red being highly acute, um, as I'm sure you could imagine with a traffic light system. Um, However, one of the major differences is that um, obviously being a third world country, health, private healthcare is a absolute privilege mm. reserved for about 1% of the population. Mm. Um, and Kathmandu is a very heavily populated city. Um, so pretty much at all hours of the day and night, we were at capacity and over capacity. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, for example, in the red zone, which is technically 
a seven bed area mm. we would have anything between 20 to 40 patients Gosh. just in the red zone yeah um in the yellow zone which is reserved for about 30 patients we would have anywhere between 50 and 60 patients mm. um in the green zone that was more manageable um cold colds and flus and things like that yeah that was a lot more higher flowing area um but as a student we were mainly placed in the red high acute area mm. and uh where we saw just just even in the way that they deliver their care is very different um i actually remember on my first shift in the first couple of hours um I remember being asked to go clean this machine. I was just like, yeah, no worries. And because um, we were getting a bit of a tour and yeah. we had just finished the tour and then we had an acute situation come in and because it was our first couple of hours, they didn't really want us involved um, and we were welcome to observe and everything. And um, I, the where the machine was situated was sort of overlooking this, the, the high risk situation going on. And so I was asked to clean that machine earlier so i was like oh i'll just stand here cleaning it and watch basically and i was like cleaning it. i'm like what is this and i'm like looking at it and i'm like it looks like an ecg machine but it's not an ecg machine mm. or what i recognize <laughs> as an ecg machine and i'm like oh so i'm like i'm pretty sure it's an ecg machine like it's got the 12 leads and i'm like yeah and i'm like looking at all the like printer paper and everything i'm like yeah, yeah i'm pretty sure this is an ecg machine but i'm like and once I concluded that it was an ECG machine, I'm like, but how does it work? Because there's these like little silver cup things, and I'm like, I don't understand. Like, where's the where's the stickers? <laughs> See, I remember I'm feeling, that. <laughs> I'm feeling really naive at this point, and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. So I'm like, I'm I'm just gonna like wait and watch. And yeah. we had this one case come in and. Um, unfortunately it was a DOA but to confirm we did an ECG and um, I was watching them put the gel on and then the suction cup yeah. little silver things and, and I was just like oh that's how it was. <laughs> <laughs> so I felt like a tiny bit out of my depth in that I was just like I don't know like I, yeah. I figured out what machine it was but I didn't know how to use it and it no. was just such an older generation machine such older technology um, and they very much uh, don't rely on um, machines for diagnostics no. as well, uh, purely because they cannot afford it. Um, they do have one CT machine for the entire hospital, um, which sees about 35,000 people a day. Um, Gosh. Yeah, so, um, and to get an MRI, you have to go to the private hospital and pay probably equivalent of about $1,500 Australian. So um, obviously that is for a lot of the population completely out of the question yeah. because on arrival, healthcare is payable. You have to arrive with a pocket full yeah. of cash for healthcare. Yeah. Um, and even just for something as simple as antibiotics, your family member is expected to walk down the street to the pharmacy, buy the antibiotics, mm. walk back to the hospital and supply it to the staff to administer it to you. Mm. Like, kind of puts things into perspective doesn't it when you think about absolutely what we take for absolutely. granted in the western kind of world that has 
all these resources and we don't have to experience that absolutely and like the whole emergency department has one ventilator mm. um which was reserved basically for transferring from the emergency department to the or yeah um not once did i see that machine used no um every other time if a patient needed to be intubated uh and on put on uh, manual ventilation or automatic ventilation um they were intubated and like a family member was given the ando bag to intubate uh, to uh, aspirate their their family member mm. um and the respirations that they needed to survive um because there simply was not enough staff to do it no. and patients family mem members were quite literally taught on the spot how to do it yeah and <clears throat> stood there for hours if not days doing it gosh um but in more cases than none uh we were actually seeing that the family member was either too ill to be expected to have a recovery mm. or too old to recover mm. or the family simply could not afford no. to stay there any longer so yeah. there was cases where i literally saw the doctor sign a death certificate hand it to the family extubate the patient the patient's family carry them to a cab to go home to die gosh that mm. must have been quite tough for you observing that having kind of trained in in australia and we take as we've said before we take for granted so many of these things that must have been quite challenging to observe that yeah um challenging is definitely a word for it um incredibly eye-opening is another one um very very much eye-opening to the difference in our healthcare systems mm. um and just how grateful i am to be living and working in a uh, first world country with so much access to mm. westernized medicine and care and um a public health care system that does still effectively care for mm. you uh because basically over there we've so the system's so overworked that if you don't have the money you're literally not treated no um, no so <clears throat> it's a massive eye opener um, yeah and just uh, like even just seeing um how hard the staff works over there mm. like on a night shift just in the red zone so that is technically x amount of beds but we were seeing up to like 20 to 30 mm. people in the red zone alone uh where we were having cases with such high acuity um there was one staff member responsible for them <laughs> overnight and the yellow zone had two for a night shift during the day there was three staff members for the red zone no reason to complain at all no reason to so, complain <laughs> you know when i got back and there was a lot of speakers that like nursing ratios over here i a little yeah. bit yeah i just had no respect for it yeah i because I got back, I then continued to travel for a bit longer. But I, when I got back, I got back in the new year and um, 
and sort of followed COVID towards Australia. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I sort of got back in just in time. Uh, but when, when we got back, there was a lot of uh, stink about nursing ratios. And though it is something that we are trying to address in our healthcare system here, I just, yeah, I honestly had no respect for it. And I just, I did not open my mouth in fear no. that I would say, fuck yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. So because I had just seen these wonderful people work their bums off yeah. with absolutely no resources, no breaks, nothing. And no. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. And um, I had the opportunity to attend some uh, lectures because we were t- in the teaching university hospital over there. Um, and just the intensivist over there is absolutely incredible. Mm. And, um, you know, he said to us, he said, um, this is going to be such a large impact on your career because every time you treat the patient, you're going to think back to here. Yeah. And the privilege that you get to treat that patient over in your Western nice yeah. hospitals and what we would have given to treat that patient over here. Yeah, yeah. Because simply do not have the ability to. Yeah. And that's definitely stuck with me. Yeah. But so, yeah, and then after being in emergency, I went on to the maternity ward. Um, and like I said, that was the uh, high risk and acute maternity ward. Mm. Uh, so more high risk pregnancies. So um, placenta procreta um, and... Oh, what's the word? Geriatric mothers, that's the word. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, and over there, they actually consider geriatric mothers, uh, like, pretty much any older than 25, um, which I found very (laughs) shocking, (laughs) considering I'm 23. An awful term, though. It's an awful term. (laughs) I'm like... Oh, if that's a geriatric mother over here, you don't want to see a geriatric mother in Australia. <laughs> and I was, and I, I don't even like the term either. I'm like, no. me. Um, but yeah, so over there, a geriatric mother is considered about any age over 25. And I was like, oh, <laughs> almost. Well, I'm not far from 25, so you'd consider me a geriatric, no. a geriatric mother. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh. But I had the wonderful experience of. Um, uh, I had never been present present for a live birth yeah. um, where the baby survived. So I had the wonderful experience of uh, witnessing uh, two live vaginal births and two live C-sections, yeah. uh, which was absolutely incredible. And the first one, I, I bawled my eyes out. <laughs> oh, I was just like, <laughs> and I was there with the student midwife and she's like, it's okay, I cried my first time too. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing. Oh, <laughs> and uh, like there was that moment where it was the first one I saw was a C-section. It was a moment where the baby wasn't crying, and everyone, yeah. the whole room was silent and still, and it cried, and I just lost it. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah. And I'm not one to cry, so I was very shocked that I was yeah. crying. <laughs> but I had to step out of the room and also <laughs> regather myself. But um, it's such yeah, a privilege. It's amazing. It is. It's such a privilege, and I think that's what really overwhelmed me was the privilege yeah. of being there and. Uh, witnessing that amazing experience and just you know it's a it's a little human it's a little yeah, person and yeah. you're there the moment that they entered the world it's just incredible yeah um, 
So, yeah, um, so I had the privilege of witnessing four births and that was amazing. And, um, uh, yeah, and then we actually had a incredibly crazy case come through and um, we, it was, so the acute maternity was sort of off the emergency area and um, there was always this mattress leaning against the wall in the hallway Mm-hmm. And I was always just like, maybe they just have like a spare mattress. I don't know. What if they have like, instead of having six laboring mums, what if they have seven? So maybe they yeah. have a spare mattress. And um, I'm like, but why would they put it in the hallway? Why not put it like in the room where they're yeah. laboring, like on the side? I'm like, there's plenty of other spaces that I can see that you could have kept this, but why is it at the doors? Anyway, I learned my lesson very quickly. <laughs> we had this one case come through and. Um, it was an undetected case of gestational diabetes and she had started seizing um, in the middle of the uh-huh. night and it was now about 11 a.m. Um, and uh, they were a upper-class family, so they had private health. And so when she started having her third seizure, but this time they didn't know that she was seizing, when she started having a third seizure at the breakfast table, they then decided to take her in through to her um, obstetrician mm. at the private hospital who then very quickly turned her away and said, this is too acute for us, you need to go to the public. Because yeah. they, had, they didn't have the ability to deal with that. Their facility didn't have that ability. Yeah. And um, so um, she then had another two seizures in the cab over and Catherine did traffic absolutely oh, insane um, so it was about another hour hour and a half before she actually got to us and um her husband and her mother were in attendance and were carrying her in and uh very quickly i learned the lesson that the bachelor just goes flop <laughs> onto the floor and very acute situations happen on yeah. the floor Gosh. Um, <laughs> so, and at that stage it was everyone hands on deck and uh she was actively seizing as we were treating her um, at this point, it was her fifth and sixth seizure that she had in on our floor. Yeah. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, no heartbeat was discoverable. Mm. Um, and we ended up having to put the mother on a ventilator. Oh, gosh. Um, so that was, a again, another massive eye-opener. Yeah. Um, and just things like the private hospital didn't even have the correct medications mm. to give to her mm. in that situation because they only really deal with scheduled C-sections. Mm. Um, so um, that was, you sort of look back on that case and you think about, well, where are all the differences from mm. that situation to what would have happened in Australia? Mm. And, um, yeah, it was just... It was an incredible experience to sort of watch how they handle that situation and the staff there yeah. are absolutely incredible. They're very highly trained um, and uh, and that's one thing I will give to their healthcare system. They do highly train medical professionals and mm. um, it's just unfortunately that... It's the, not the, the resources. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't reflect their education level. Mm. Um, but uh, they... Um, that experience definitely sort of then led into a bit more education 
um, and we had another lecture um, by the head nun uh, in that department mm. who uh, brought out her, she calls her book, um, and it's a book of all of the cases for the years as far. Um, and, you know, she's documenting this and um, she's showing it to us and she's just like, you know, um, if you want to look at statistics, like have a look at my book. And so we're all sitting there and we're all going through it together and, you know, the amount of cases that we then realised that had actually gone undetected as gestational diabetes. Mm. Um, though gestational diabetes and pretty much any type 2 diabetes in Nepal alone is incredibly rare because they are mainly uh, very malnutritioned and underweight. Yeah. Um, but gestational diabetes was one thing that was considerably undetected in mm. older, um, well, what they would call geriatric being over mm. 25 um, mothers. Mm. So it was amazing to see how their statistics sort of changed the way they looked at healthcare compared mm. to in Australia, the way we look at statistics and healthcare. Yeah. So that was an incredible learning opportunity there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. And I know, you know Grace. I think. Sorry, you go. <laughs> okay. Um, I think, like, in any area, um, when you're working in a third world country, mm. you're going to find um, differences and similarities. Mm. But um, I felt very, very privileged mm. having that opportunity going over there and. Mm. and um, working as part of their team and being very hands-on. They were very mm. welcoming to us and being very hands-on. Mm. They weren't to trust us um, and trust that we knew what we were doing. Um, but obviously we're still in a supervisional sort yeah. of role. Yeah. Um, but just things like, you know, okay, great, you know how to put an IV in, go put an IV in because we don't need to stand here and watch you put an IV in 20 times a day. Mm. So just little things like that. Um, but yeah, I felt I felt very very privileged having that opportunity to um, add that to my education. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, and and that experience as well, just working in that sort of setting, mm. absolutely incredible. And um, a lot of things I have learned, and a lot of things I've learned not to take for granted mm. for sure. And I know, Grace, that you you actually gave a lot back whilst you were there beyond yeah. your hospital visit. And I'd, I'd really like to hear about that because I think, you know, you've had such a fabulous opportunity and you were there as an observer, but you actually did more than that. And that yeah. Um, so I actually... Uh, in the afternoons, in the, in the later afternoons after our shifts or on the weekends and stuff, we had the opportunity to sort of uh, organise uh, things within the city um, through, um, I guess, what you can call as a, sort of like a house handlers and house managers. Mm. Um, but one of the things that we organised on a Friday afternoon, we all organised to go into our shifts 
an hour earlier, finish an hour earlier. And we had organised through our house manager to go and visit this local orphanage. And we had gone shopping the day before uh, in the local market and, like, we picked up, like, lollipops and (laughs) all these sort of things. And we were all so excited to go meet these kids at this orphanage and just um, spend some time with them. Like, the manager of the house is telling us that um, they love soccer and things like that. Um, So we all ended up actually – so there was about – I think it was about six or seven of us at the house at the time. Um, and the manager of the house actually, because we wanted to actually contribute something that would actually help them. Mm. Um, and so the manager of the house got in contact with the, um, with the gentleman that runs the orphanage um, and asked what they actually needed. So we all ended up putting in money um, and brought all of their school books for the next year. Um, so all of their writing utensils, Gosh, all of their yeah. notepads, all of their textbooks, all of that sort of stuff, um, which between the seven of us, I think I think it only equated to about $500 mm. um, in total. <laughs> so, you know, you think about the cost of education over here in Australia and then you think about yeah. the cost of education supplies for 93 children is about five hundred dollars australian that's absolutely insane <laughs> crazy but isn't it? um yeah so uh we ended up going to this orphanage and we had this wonderful afternoon playing with these kids and i absolutely i just fell in love i was just like oh <laughs> these kids are amazing and i got chatting to um the manager of the orphanage and he's a wonderful gentleman his name's lama and he is an ex-monk and he um started developing all these relationships with local kids that really needed a bit more guidance and support. And anyway, he ended up deciding to leave the monk hood and going and building literally out of his own pocket. Mm. And he just, he brought a property and he just started taking in all these kids and he started fostering. Um, and fostering isn't the right word he started sponsoring children that were from very rural environments Mm. um and bringing them to him so he could provide them with an education but they still have family from where they were from but it was Mm. just a way to get kids from like rural rural villages like yeah i'm talking about five to six days hiking just from like pokhara or sarankut or like other more sort of not metropolitan, but sort of towns that are closer. Yeah. But then they've got villages and villages and villages out and out yeah. across the country. Um, so uh, in total, he had about 93 kids there. Gosh, that's a lot and, of kids. <laughs> yeah, and the oldest was 17 and the youngest was three. Mm. So a massive age range. Anyway, I got talking to him and I was – I had this one – week I think it was six days actually where I had planned to go and do a bit of R&R in a neighboring township called Pokhara mm. and uh, I was going to do this um like yoga for beginners thing and I was like you know I've had a busy year 
I'll just relax and do this <laughs> yoga thing. And I was just like, you know, I always wanted to learn yoga. I've just never really gotten around to it. I was like, that'd be really nice. It's on a lake and you overlook the lake every day and do yoga. And I'm like, that's really nice. Let's, let's treat myself to that. And so I had a plan to do that, but I just fell in love with these kids. And I was just like, uh, what is what are the chances that you would swap board with me for me to volunteer here? He's like, Oh, we're always looking for volunteers. Um, And he's just like, and you're very science person. All he could say was you're science person. I I guess you can call it science. Um, And so uh, he was just like, yes, you can teach some classes and we always need extra teachers and we always need extra hands and things like that. So definitely come, come come and he was so welcoming and so instead of going on my yoga retreat I went and stayed at this orphanage <laughs> for a week and um <laughs> and which was absolutely incredible no regrets whatsoever no. and the kids ended up doing exercise hour at like five o'clock in the morning <laughs> which was freezing because it was winter over there it was freezing and I'm like in my sleeping bag being like oh no I'm not I'm not giving up um <laughs> And then I think the second day I was just like, oh, but they sound like they're having so much fun. I'll just get up and do it with them. Yeah. So by the second day I was, I was up doing their exercise hour with them, which is like, um, it was like watching little kids doing army drills. They were like running around in like the circle of the yard and then doing like star jumps and then push-ups. And yeah. I was trying to keep up and then I was like, no, I'm just going to do the jog. I'm good with that. <laughs> but um, I ended up uh, trading this one week. Uh, for board uh, for volunteering and um, the first couple of days I just did lessons um, and I loved doing like art with them and um, then I was just like oh well they're very very um, visual and art focused learners so I was like oh well I'll teach them how to anatomically draw a heart and like draw all the organs of the body and all this sort of stuff yeah they had so much fun doing that and um and then, like, I was looking through their science textbook and they have a section on health, so then I was teaching them that and going over and over and over again. Um, but so they had the, the literacy there and some understanding of health and hygiene and oral hygiene, hand hygiene, all that sort of stuff. Um, however, I, as the days went on, I think I got to about the midway of day two and I was just like, hang on a minute. It's like I've not seen these kids shower once. And I was like, I, I come to think of it, I've not seen them brush their teeth. No. Okay, on. Do they wash their hands before they eat? And as Nepali culture, they don't use cutlery. No. They use their hands. Yeah. And I was just like, and the, like, internal, internal uh, freak <laughs> yeah. out started. I was just like, oh, my God. That was <laughs> like the worst it? thing to a nurse, isn't it? Hand washing and these yeah. I know. I just, oh, I think I I just remember having this realization, and I was sitting there with this cup of tea, and I was in the kitchen, and um, the the cook they always called her auntie, and auntie makes the best cup of masala tea. It was amazing. Yeah. And like every time she saw me, she's like tea. I was like <laughs> yes, please. Um, I was sitting in the kitchen and I've had this realisation I just got these massive goosebumps all over my arms and I just I felt physically ill. I was just like, oh, no, they don't wash their hands, they don't brush their teeth. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. So then I was just like, oh. I was like, okay, so maybe I'll, like, start focusing my education more on that. Yeah. And anyway, I saw Lana across the field and I was like, 
oh, llama. And I like ran everywhere. I was like, do they both have toothbrushes? And he's just like, sorry. I was like, do the children have like toothbrushes to brush their teeth? Once I like calmed myself down and spoke at a normal pace because I was flustered yeah. and freaked out. I was speaking really fast and he didn't understand me. And um, I was like, do the kids have toothbrushes? He's like, yes. I was like, then why don't they brush their teeth? And he's like, oh, not important of the day. And I was like, <laughs> my internal brain was just like, it is important. <laughs> I was just like, okay. So then I was, he had to go to a meeting with the council or something. And um, so he left and I was just like, okay. I'll speak to him tomorrow morning. And all night I could not sleep. I was just like, I really don't feel okay with this. No. <laughs> like they need to learn to brush their teeth. They don't wash their hands. And so I like started looking around the bathrooms and stuff. And I'm like, they have um, like old soap dispensers and stuff, but like they were all empty and everything. Yeah. And I was just like, okay. And then I did find where they keep their toothbrushes, but it's like in the dining hall on the shelf, very high up and they're all dusty. I'm like, clearly they haven't used it in a while. No. So I was like, okay. So I'm like starting to gather all this information and um, I could not sleep that night at all. And so I was just in my head, I was just like, okay, how can I fix this? What can I do? Like, okay, we can educate them more. And I'm like, but they don't really respond to like verbal stimuli. They don't no. really respond to the information. They're like, oh yeah, cool. That's stuff that we know. Yep, cool. Yeah. But they don't actually implement that knowledge. So I was like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? I'm like, well, for starters, they don't really have the resources. Mm. Secondly, they don't, they sort of have the knowledge and they have the literacy to back up the knowledge and all be taught to them, but they don't have reminders and they don't have a routine. So I was like, okay, so we need to adjust that. Mm. So by morning, I'd come up with this entire health initiative in my head. And I think I was awake at like, <laughs> like I was dressed. And I knew that Lama got up at about 4.30, just before exercise hour at 5. So I was, like, at his door at 4.30 and was just like, I need to speak to you. He <laughs> <laughs> was a bit scared of me. Um, He was just like, oh. And I was like, like, what? Like, if I have your permission, can I do this thing? Like, can yeah. I do it? Yeah. And I tried explaining it to him. And I was just like, and I can paint the walls and I can – like give you soap and all this sort of stuff. And I think it was just very much, I think one, there was like a bit of language barrier, but two, I think my enthusiasm was a bit overwhelming. So I think he just agreed to it. <laughs> and so his one condition was that I finished the task before I leave Sunday. I was like, yeah. okay, absolutely. I will finish the task. And um, so I was like, okay, this is my focus now. And so um, one of the other volunteers took over my classes and I was just like, okay, how do I fix this? And so all day I was like walking around Kathmandu City and I was like walking into paint shops and I was walking into like pharmacies and all this stuff. And I was just like, I need like X amount of litres to last a year. Like how do I make this work? And then, of course, the language barrier, that was insane. I think I ended up like... I got like a piece of paper and like drew what I want. And then I took photos of the walls that I wanted to paint 
and then showed them and I was just like, this is what I want to do now. How much paint do I need? Like, I don't know how to figure this out. <laughs> I was like, long time since I've done this type of math. So I was like, oh, I don't know. And um, and anyway, it ended up being okay and I ended up getting the right amount of paint. And um, I got in contact. I remember walking around Kathmandu being like, how the hell do I find a plumber? Like, I don't, I don't even know how to do this. I'm like Googling Kathmandu plumbing services and stuff. <laughs> and like all these like DIY shops and like Mitre Tens or like Bunning equivalent, equivalents like kept coming up. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go there and see if like someone there is a plumber. So I went to like the outskirts of Kathmandu, somewhere where I probably should not have been. <laughs> and I was just like, I walked into like this hardware store and everyone was like, what is this blonde Western looking girl <laughs> doing, in here? doing in this store? <laughs> everything, everything is in Nepali. And I'm like, hmm, can't read Nepali. <laughs> I'm like, can speak a tiny bit, but can't read it. So I'm like walking through the stores being like, okay, where's like all the pipes and stuff? <laughs> and eventually this one gentleman, who's <laughs> a younger gentleman, came up to me. He's like, English? And I was like, yes, English. And he's just like, I speak English. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And I was like, okay. That's as far as I got into my plan. I was like, let's just go to the store. I did not consider whether or not no one spoke English. And I was just like, okay, I need, like, the showers fixed at this orphanage. And, like, I had the orphanage card with me. And I was like, this yeah. is where it is. I'm like, orphans, children. Like, and I'm showing him photos. I'm like orphans and he's just like okay I understand the orphans I was like I need the showers fixed <laughs> like they don't work and he's just like okay and um so uh I'm like I need like someone to do it like I need a plumber yeah and he's like plumber and I'm like water pipe person <laughs> he's just like okay <laughs> and so <laughs> um I ended up finding someone and got people up there to fix all the showers um, and they just have like a drop system toilets so it didn't really matter. Um, and so I got someone fixing the toilets and then while I was at the hardware store, I was like, I need like a big soap holder thing to put in the shower. Yeah. And so he like showed me where those were and then like I'm <laughs> like I'm pretty, I'm pretty handy. I'm a pretty handy person. Um, but I didn't know that you can't drill into a tile. <laughs> so I was like trying to drill these, drill these dispensaries into this tile. And <laughs> this is like 17 year old kid is one of the kids at the orphanage. He like comes up to me. He's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, how do you do it? And <laughs> he's just like, you can't drill the tile. I'm like, Oh, okay. So what am I meant to do? <laughs> And he's just like, oh, um, uh, we uh, we glue. And so he went to go, he went and go like get the craft glue. I'm like, no, 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 craft glue is not gonna work. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I'll go back to the hardware store and I brought like the industrial glue and stuff and like glue them all in. And um, I ended up getting in supply uh, like a year's worth of um, full body wash and hair wash stuff. Um, uh, hand soap, so I got hand soap dispensaries and stuff. Um, 
to put next to the taps because they just use like what we have as like garden taps yeah. in Australia. Yeah. They just have those. They don't actually have sinks and stuff. Um, and so I got all those sort of supplies. I got in contact with a higher end um, dentist in Kathmandu City um, and he agreed to do a yearly oral health hygiene test yeah. um, within the orphanage um, and he would like sponsor it. Um, and I also got, um, I ended up doing like a little mini toiletry bags sort of. Um, so I got a local seamstress to make up a hundred face washes. Um, and then I bought, um, like two, two toothbrushes per child uh-huh. worth of toothbrushes. Um, and then I bought like, I think I bought in bulk. I, f- I felt like I was doing like a Costco run, but they don't have Costco over there. Um, but like I, so and this orphanage was on top of a hill and it was like, I think it was like 76 steps up to it. And then it was like the rest of it, that's where the steps stopped. And the rest of it was just like, like that much of an anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it was very steep. Um, so I literally just emptied my back- backpacks. I didn't take, um, like luggage I only took hand luggage um so I literally emptied my backpack and was like pretty much backpacking around Kathmandu with like toothbrushes um (laughs) like uh industrial glue like all this sort of stuff (laughs) Uh, and I still had like um like cans of paint that I was picking up and stuff because I could only hold two cans of paint at once so I had to like keep doing the trip up and down up and down the hill and luckily the paint store was only at the bottom of the hill, so that was good. Um, but <laughs> up and down the hill, so all these, like, locals started going, like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, these need to go up there. <laughs> and they're like, okay. So then they would, like, walk them up for, like, a little bit of cash and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So then all the locals started, like, getting involved and stuff. And they're like, oh, miss, do you want me to carry anything today? And I'm like, no, I'm out of things for you to carry. <laughs> um, and I also ended up uh, supplying... Um, I think it was about 50,000 sanitary pads for the older girls yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, to fund all this, I ended up starting a fundraiser just on Facebook. Mm. Um, and I shared that to all of my friends on Facebook and then that got shared out and shared out and shared out and ended up getting quite, quite massive. And so um, my initial goal was to raise about $500 Australian. That's what I sort of yeah. estimated how much this would cost me, which when you think about it, isn't very much um, to how much work was actually done. Yeah. Um, but I think we ended up raising close to 750 So that wow, was great. amazing. Yeah, and I ended up um, donating the rest of the orphanage because uh, Lama um, had plans to... Um, put in a new water system uh-huh. because they've been having issues where they were running out of water or the water was freezing yeah. um, because they didn't have a thermoregulated tank. Um, so they had, he had plans to like put an underground tank in as well. So that was wonderful. So I was able to donate the rest of the money that I didn't end yeah. up spending towards yeah. that, which was wonderful. Um, and then I ended up designing these, uh, back to the kids being very much visual learners, I ended up designing these two wall murals about washing your hands and brushing your teeth. And uh, so 
I painted all the walls and everything and the kids loved it and they were sneaking out of class. They were sneaking out of class to come help me paint. I'm like, you're meant to be in class. Go back to class. And they're like, oh, this is so fun. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. It's only what I'll make you live. And um, so they're like helping me paint. And it got to the point where like Lama had to supervise who was helping me paint because yeah. they kept They all wanted out. to and do I'd it. Have, like, yeah, I, had, I would have like 30 or 50 kids like, coming out to help me paint but I only had like three paintbrushes and I was just like I was meant to be the only person doing this I didn't supply everyone with no. paintbrush um so you know we ended up painting the entire um end wall with a fresh coat of yellow paint which is the background color um that the, all the walls in the orphanage were uh-huh. um and then I ended up doing um writing in English wash your hands and then I got one of the older kids um, to write in Nepali, wash your hands. Yeah. And then I got all of the kids to pick a colour. I had, I think, green, pink, purple, blue. I had all the primary colours and then, you know, we mixed them and made other colours. And um, we, I got all the kids, every single one of them, to put their hand in, in a paint of their choosing and put their hand on the wall. And so... They all had their hand on it. Oh, and, that's fabulous. Yeah, all wash your hands. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's all colourful and, like, yeah. so, like, popular. Just, when you walk into the bathroom area, it's just like, cool. yeah, let's wash our hands. And um, on the other wall, it's a bit smaller, I ended up cutting out, like, my version of a cartoon tooth, <laughs> which <laughs> just sort of looks like a weird love heart with two ends it's a bit weird um but it kind of looks like a tooth yeah uh, so then I ended up like tracing that onto the wall so I painted the whole wall in like this bright blue and then I did the tooth and then painted that all white and then in all the like multicolors and really bright colors I wrote brush your teeth and then yeah. did the same like in Nepali later on um but the kids absolutely loved it and I'm still in contact with Lama today and wow. she said you know they absolutely love it and they love their little toiletry packs and they all like every morning they get up yeah. and use their face and wash their face um because like you know kids get so snotty um so <laughs> they wash their face in the morning and um they don't brush their teeth in the morning but they brush their teeth after dinner so yeah. I'm like that's at least something yeah um and they're like you know they're always yelling at each other you didn't wash your hands and so that's yeah. great um, i mean yeah. That that's no mean feat, Grace. What you've just described there in a country where you don't speak the language and the transport isn't great and you're at the top of a hill. That that <laughs> to it seriously, you know, I take my hat off to you because to achieve all that in a very short time is is a massive undertaking. And I tell you what, your project management skills are great you don't need to do any prince 2 training because your week in nepal volunteering demonstrates you are more than capable of project managing in very very challenging circumstances that is just it's just fabulous and i love i love that you gave so much back and that you still still keep in touch with them do you think you'll go back and do some oh, i'd love to i would love to see them again um yeah. and nepal in itself is an absolutely beautiful country yeah. um and i was speaking to uh, lama the lama the 
um, a gentleman who runs the orphanage and I was checking in to see how it was going with um, like COVID hitting and everything yeah. and it's yeah. just like oh well um, you know the government are saying you know wear fa- like face, face mask, mask. And, yeah. and wash your hands so now every time the kids are like not washing their hands I just point to your wall mirror so now every time they leave the orphanage because a lot of the um so it's the younger kids who are educated on site Mm. and the older kids go to a public high school Mm. um so especially the older kids who are leaving every day to go to the high school he's like you have to come back in and wash your hands straight away so um with like covid and stuff Mm. just trying to manage that um so it was i think sort of a blessing in disguise that they sort of yeah. learnt all this yeah. and I did the initiative with them just before yeah. COVID hit. Yeah. Um, that was in December and, you know, COVID sort of started yeah. in January, yeah. if not earlier. I think it was yeah. December. Um, but it got more and more prevalent as we yeah. got closer to the yeah. new year. Um, but having the opportunity to do that health initiative and just to develop it and I had the best week. Um, mm. Actually, it was... I just remembered this actually. It was pouring rain for the last two days where I was meant to do the last of the painting mm. because I'd spent the like the first couple of days supplying all of like getting all my supplies and stuff and, mm. and uh, creating all those connections with um, local suppliers and business owners and things like that. So then the last two days where I planned just to paint for the last two days, it was pouring rain and I got the last of the painting finished. I was meant to leave. The orphanage I um, had organised to do a trek um, through the Annapurna region, and I had to leave the orphanage at like 7 a.m. the next mm. morning. So I really had that last day, and it only finished raining just after lunch. So I was like, "Quick, get all the painting done!" Yeah. But um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. It's, it it really really such a privilege I think to do things like that and it's something that never leaves you when you go and you see you know how a different country with really kind of no resources or very little in terms of resources I think it's it stays with you and you carry that throughout your career you know it's it is a life-changing experience and I think what you achieved is is just absolutely fabulous my question to you grace is kind of what is the biggest thing that you learnt about yourself in that experience and and how you apply that learning back here now in you know in in Australia working as a nurse oh goodness what a question um oh I think one of the biggest lessons I think that was really more reinforced was that you never stop learning um and like yes I was over there on a clinical placement and things. Um, but given my experience as an EN and almost finished my own, so I think 
I was somewhat biased in the thought that I wouldn't be learning too much different things mm-hmm. or anything really new. However, I very quickly came down from that cloud. Um, and I think every other second of every other day I was learning something different and new or a different way that they would treat something or a different way that they would approach something. Mm. Um, and even just um, the way that they would go about their diagnostics and uh, their care as well. Mm. Um, so I think the biggest thing that uh, shocked me was that, yes, you'd never stop learning. Um, but I think it really gave me the opportunity to grow into I think more more of a nurse with a bit more perspective Mm. Um, having had that experience in a third world country now Mm. um, and also just being able to offer those experiences and the knowledge that I gain to other Mm. people Mm. um, back here in Australia which I have had the opportunity to do Mm. Um, and not in a snobbish way like I know more than you or I want to tell you how to do your job but actually I came across this scenario while I was working in Nepal this is how we manage it would you like to hear more Um, and nine times out of ten people have gone oh really like what did they do or um, please tell me more about that experience Mm. or Mm. um, it's it's been an absolute privilege to have had that experience and uh the perspective and knowledge that i've gained Mm. from that experience Mm. has been absolutely immeasurable Mm. so and i think listening to your story grace what i take away and I think it's something that as nurses we're really good at, but we don't always acknowledge that is the resourcefulness that's within us and the ability to be able to think outside the box. You know, if there's a problem, how am I going to fix this? And you demonstrated that really well. And I think to me, that's something that nurses do really, really well. It's like, okay, there's this problem. How are we going to fix it? And it's not always an easy fix but you find a way or find a a way around to get the solution or a solution that works and that for me listening to your story you know came out really clearly about how you use those critical thinking skills but you use them in a different way to actually make things happen and you drove that change and that's you know those are really I want to say sought after skills because they are not everybody, not everybody can do that. You know, it it says a lot about you as a person that you are able to influence and get people to help you despite the language barriers, despite the difficulties. And that's part of your personality and who you are. And you were able to do that as a result. And I just think that that's, such a, a skill to have and I, there's one more thing I really want to ask you Grace has it given you the bug to go and do more of this oh my goodness yes <laughs> I yeah absolutely uh, I had sneakily I hadn't actually booked anything obviously because of COVID but in my mind I definitely had I'm definitely going back like this time next year um, yeah which is basically this week. Um, 
and I absolutely loved that experience so much and uh, I would I would jump at any opportunity to go and volunteer overseas or yeah. even within Australia yeah. uh, just to keep volunteering and giving my skills elsewhere um, because I have a, a career worth of giving my skills in metropolitan or yeah. hospitals or yeah. anything like that. Um, but uh, giving my, having the opportunity to give my skills into um, lesser known and lesser advantaged areas, I think is yeah. absolutely amazing. It's definitely something that I want to pursue. And if I could have my whole career in that sort of environment, I yeah. would. So. And it's a really, it's a really good way to, I want to say, um, it helps you to be grateful for what you have. And I think the feeling that you can help somebody else who doesn't have the resources and the opportunities is a really positive thing for your own sense of well-being. You know, similar, I sponsor somebody to do their nurse training in um, Africa from one of the poorest slums in the world. And I get huge rewards just from getting the letters and hearing about that person's journey and understanding that you know for them that's that's a struggle it is a struggle more than people realize and some of the things you highlighted in your story are things that this particular person has also experienced and as nurses you know that we see that we see the need and I think we see you know that it's so important to give back and sharing mm. those stories about how how other nurses do that I think for me prompts other people to think well that's something I'd like to do and I think it's a great a great testament yeah. to you that it, seriously in what what you have achieved I think you've done so much and I, I've really loved listening to your story and normally at this point I would ask people you know how they want to be best remembered in their nursing career but I'm not going to ask you that question Grace because I actually <laughs> think there's a lot more to your story to come <laughs> maybe we'll interview you later on down the line and see see what adventures you've got up to because I have no doubts there'll be many many more stories to tell and I I really, really want to say thank you for sharing your story today because it's great for other nurses to hear what you're doing. I also wondered whether you have, and you may be doing this already, whether you have thoughts about formalising the fundraising you've done for Nepal, you know, in a more kind of structured way. Is that something that you thought about? Uh, that is something that I have thought about and I was actually awarded... Um, without my knowledge, the university uh, put me forward for a uh, Australian government award um, uh -huh. from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trades. Um, so I was actually awarded the New Colombo, um, uh, New Colombo like, grant, I suppose you can call it, uh -huh. um, and award. Um, so I, I've been introduced to that community, but unfortunately with COVID, a lot of their events yeah. and things have been postponed and yeah. um, 
but that's just more a networking opportunity and something that I'm very grateful to be a part of. And it was, it was so wonderful to hear of the news that I had been put forward for this award. That's great. And, um, and to have won it for um, uh, contributing to the international relationships with yeah. Australia yeah. and Nepal. Um, but I think definitely um, something along those lines that you just mentioned, mm. that is definitely something that I would love to pursue. Yeah. Um, I think it's just more... Um, something that I have to figure out a way yeah. I can pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for your wonderful compliment. That was very, very oh, lovely. No, yeah. and I would love to come back and tell more of my stories. Definitely. It's been an absolute privilege. <laughs> I would love um, to have you I back. really enjoyed our chat. <laughs> yeah. Thank um, you. But, Thank. yeah, I'm just... I've really enjoyed um, connecting with you and yeah. um, hearing other nursing stories across Australia and, and globally as well um, as you sort of get more and more into those interconnections. Yeah. Um, yeah. And LinkedIn has been wonderful for that. Yeah. Um, but it's just been wonderful to sort of connect with like-minded people. Yeah. And it's been wonderful to connect with you. So Thank you, Grace. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. And I, I just want to say that your award was very well deserved. Very Thank well deserved. <laughs> and I have no doubt we'll hear more of Grace. Definitely more of Grace. <laughs> so thank thank you. you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Eva.